This podcast is sponsored by the Music Player Network at musicplayer.com, the premier musician resource for keyboard players and beyond. Since the year 2000, the Music Player Network has been the go-to source for news and views on music technology, playing tips, and gigging help. The Keyboard Corner is one of the longest-running keyboard forums in Internet history, with guitar, bass, drum, and numerous recording and music tech forums also on offer. Frequented by weekend warriors, manufacturers' representatives, and professionals alike, MPN provides an invaluable resource for any musician, and it's 100% free to sign up and use. Go to www.musicplayer.com to see for yourself. Welcome to episode 20 of the Keyboard Chronicles, a podcast for keyboard players of the gigging variety. I'm your host, David Holloway, and it's great as always to be here with you. Uh, this episode sees me spending some time interviewing the inimitable Jan Pulsford. Now, Jan epitomizes the keys player that puts variety at the centre of what they do. Whether it's playing and co-writing with Cindy Lauper, collaborating with the legendary Chico Freeman, performing in the virtual world of Second Life, or running her own ambient radio service, Jan certainly has lots of interesting insights on a great career to date. I hope you enjoy it. Jan, thank you so much for joining us. It's a pleasure, always. And I'm pleased to say you're the first first guest that's um, joined us from a nice, I assume, summery day in Suffolk. Well, it is. It's not too bad. A bit cloudy, but it's, uh, hey, the sun was shining first thing this morning. It's beautiful here. See? Absolutely beautiful place to be. So thanks for asking me. No, my pleasure. And we're both old enough to start off talking about the weather, although it's, not, it's doing you a <laughs> d- disservice because, um, as I've mentioned in the introduction, um, You've had a massive career in some extremely different areas, and I'm really keen to go through uh, those. But let, let's just start off with a bit of um, a potted history of Jan Pulsford. Tell us how you got into music, your upbringing, and you know what started your career. Well, I was born in South Wales, which is known as the land of song. You know, with Mm. pretty musical from from Wales and um, so I was in school orchestras I was singing playing guitar doing all kinds of things went off to college and I was asked by a band I was singing with at the time because I started off singing believe it or not um, uh, to go down to London they were going over to America so I left college they were in the year above me went down to London, and within six weeks, we weren't superstars. And I think the rest of the band were a bit disappointed uh, with that. So they went back to teaching and one thing and another, and I was left in London, and I thought, well, here I am. I may as well get on with it. And so uh, a variety of things transpired, from busking to playing in restaurants and all kinds of uh, 
weird and wonderful things. And back in those days, there was a magazine called Melody Maker. Mm. And in the back were all the adverts for uh, bands wanting singers or keyboard players, blah, blah, blah. So I went along uh, to an audition and started working with these people. And somebody went off on tour and left behind a Hona Pianet. Uh. And um, I had obviously had piano lessons and everything when I was growing up, but I never really thought about playing keyboards. And this guy said to me, well, why don't you do do that? You're much better on the piano than you are on the guitar. Uh, you know, you know more about it. And I thought, oh, that's okay. So I walked down the road and uh, the guy who ha had the local junk, well, he called it an antique shop, um, he was also in a band, and of course, because he had the van and the PA, uh, he was a s singer in the band. And he said, "Oh, I hear you've got a a, a piano. You, do you want to be in the band?" So I went, "Oh, yeah, okay." And so that that's how it really started. My love affair with being at the back of the stage, playing keyboards. I went into a studio. And there was an OBXA, an Oberheim OBXA there, and that was the start of my love affair with electronic music. I just, you know, I just went on from from there. It was, it really was a love affair, and this was, I suppose, early eighties would have been, yeah. Yeah, and, and so prior to seeing the OBX, so what sort of music were you playing in bands? Was was rock, pop, folk? Yeah, it was cover bands. Oh, yeah. And so what I did was I learned, I suppose I learned my craft by by playing in these cover bands because, like I said, I started off with the Hona Pianette, but then, of course, I had to get a Fender Rhodes, you know, <laughs> and then you, you, you start off with a little Roland, I don't know what it was, maybe it was a 101 or something like that. And then you have to get an OBXA and then you have to get a DMX and then you have to get the DSX. And so so it goes on. And before you know where you are, you're out on stage with like five keyboards uh, pretending to be Rick Wakeman. Um, so. So, yeah, it was it was really fantastic to have that breadth of music uh, to learn from. You see, I think I think I, that was a very important part. Mm. So then, once you once you move into other areas and you're doing studio work and you can draw on those styles and uh, you know how 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 you actually got to learn it. That's right. And learn I mean, this this cover band musicians dying to know, Jen. What what some of the songs that. You know, where you go to songs are ones that you probably look back and shiver a bit and would dread having to play now. Oh, gosh. <laughs> I always remember playing Celebrate by Cool and the oh, Gang. Oh, yes. yes. Yeah, that was, that was one. <laughs> and, of course, again, you see, because you're copying an American feel there, yeah. completely different from, from a British feel, probably completely different from an Australian feel um so so that was interesting as well so i really look back on those days um with a mixture of a, a smile on my face because there were some pretty outrageous gigs that i did you know going up and down the motorway in the back of a tranny van and um 
going to work in men's clubs and and staying in boarding houses and it's it's a part of life that unfortunately i suppose isn't commonplace these mm. days for musicians uh, coming up no it's, no. A, it's a hell of an apprenticeship and i mean i'm obviously fascinated then how you, you've mentioned the studio a couple of times i'm assuming you got uh some regular work in the studio and then how did that lead to you um you know, uh, working, how would you put it, in the big time and, and starting that songwriting and collaborative stuff with some of the great people you have? Well, it's all about networking, as mm. as you know, or uh, some people would call it luck or whatever. You, you find yourself in a group of people. And um, this group of people who were doing jingles and sessions were... Uh, well, the keyboard player, let me t- let me say the keyboard player, because he was really, really important in this. His name was Jeff Downs. Oh, yeah. And he was working with Trevor Horn, who was oh, yeah. a bass player. And uh, they were working on this project called The Buggles. <laughs> and um, a video killed the radio star, went into the charts. And we were all in the studio the day that he found out. He went, oh, God. Yeah, it's gone in. It's it's number six. Yeah. And that was basically the last we ever saw of him. <laughs> but because there was a hole in the group then, I jumped in and became the keyboard player, you see. Right. Uh, so because up until then, I was doing like odd jobs. I was doing a bit of singing, doing a bit of, you know, whatever, a bit of arranging, a bit of copywriting, stuff like that. Um, so, so this came about really I have a lot to thank Jeff for yeah. uh, because then what happened was he he obviously major big time and he was having some aromatherapy at his flat and the girl's boyfriend came round who was a drummer and uh, started talking about mm. The auditions that they'd been holding and how hard it was to find, they wanted a a female keyboard player for the band. And this happened to be the Thompson Twins. And so so Jeff said, oh, I know, I know who you need. You need to talk to Jan. Mm. So so they phoned me up and um, I just so happened to be in France the same time they were recording. So I went over to the studio and had a chat and, you know, one thing, another, and, and that was that. And so I was I was off with the Thompson Twins there for about uh, the next year, year and a half, yeah. something like that. So and let's yeah. talk briefly about that. And for our American listeners, I mean, I know the Thompson Twins had uh, very decent exposure in America, but just in case you're, you're a little bit younger or whatever, the Thompson Twins were a- absolutely pivotal 80s act, mm-hmm. and I know from an Australian perspective, they they were on the charts constantly. So, as an initial big time experience, what did you learn from that, and what you, what are your, some of your most um, fond memories of that time? Just the sheer excitement of it. I was just talking to Felicia Collins um, just yesterday because she was the one who did Live Aid with the Thompson Twins and there was a big thing about it because it was 35 years ago and there's a picture of her and Madonna, Nile Rogers. And I remember that they didn't take the English band. They were going to take what 
later became the Letterman, David Letterman band. Um, and Felicia was there. And I knew that Felicia and I were going to be sharing a room and we were going to be going on tour for the next year. And <laughs> sitting there going, oh, gosh, I wonder what she's like. I wonder, you know, if we'll get on and everything. Of course, we became lifelong friends. And uh, Felicia really, really went on uh, to do some amazing stuff. I mean, she's worked with everybody uh, mostly through doing the Letterman show, which was which was huge. So um, Felicia and I, we had the time of our life. We really did. I mean, we both had never been on a huge tour. And it was really, it was first class all the way, which is really important, I think, to keep musicians happy when they're on the road. So, so I had no, actually... Nothing to complain about at no. all. No, so it's a, it's a hell of an introduction. And then I'm assuming uh, from that is how you eventually um, moved into the orbit um, of Cindy Lauper and, and your very productive collaboration? Yes, well, what happened, we... Um, I'd always wanted to go to the States and that was really in my... in my eye... what's it called? Sight, you know, in my sight... And uh, there was the opportunity to go back to the States because they were going to be doing another tour. So I went over to the States and um, en route from New York to L.A., I went to meet some people in Nashville and okay. walked into the airport. And it goes, welcome to Music City, USA. And I went, oh, this will do. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I ended up staying there for quite some time, basing myself there. I, I built my studio there, had a production company, and um, Felicia would come down and work with me at the studio. And the one day she had a phone call uh, from Cindy's management, who she, she'd uh, been work, working with. I think she'd done a couple of videos uh, with them. And um, so they wanted her to go up and start rehearsing in New York. And as she's going out of the door, she says, well, what if they need a keyboard player? I said, absolutely not. I'm here. <laughs> I, ju I just had a son. My son was like three, three and a half, four years old. And um, I said, absolutely not. I've got my studio here. This is what I really want to do. The production, the writing, blah, blah, blah. Anyway, a first class ticket arrived the next day. <laughs> They they flew me up to New York and uh, the rest is, as they say, is history. I ended up working with Cindy for the next nine years, I suppose it must have been. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, 90, 93 to 2000, 2001, I think, yeah. And, I mean, to put it in context, so, I mean, obviously Sisters of Avalon was the the uh, the – big co-writing effort the two of you put in, but you were working prior to that. And, I mean, in context of her career, this was the fifth album, Sisters of Avalon, if I've got that right, or tw uh, six mm. if you count 12 Deadly Sins. Um, so how did that? How did you go from, you know, going up and getting involved to actually being a, a key collaborator in, in such a, a big way? It was obviously a, a chemistry thing, and I know Cindy's been quoted as saying that you were, a great, you know, great collaborators, but what, what made it work? Um, well, when I first went up there, it was just as a keyboard player. Yeah. 
And even though I am a, a writer and have written so much stuff over the years, um, there's sort of like a thing that you don't necessarily push what you do onto somebody. If you're no. being hired as a keyboard player, you're a keyboard player. That's how I think about it. Anyway, for example, you know, Tom Bailey was was the writer in the Thompson mm. Twins. Uh, I I played a couple of things that I'd, I'd written to him, but I was never trying to get in because I knew that I wouldn't get in on the writing. But I think it's important for people to know who, who you are, uh, if, if they're at all interested, because a, a lot of the time, uh, you know, artists aren't particularly interested in what you've done. They're, you know, they're very single minded about it. And that's why they're stars, you know, and rightly so. Uh, so with Cindy, I never I never pushed the stuff. And I remember uh, talking to somebody and they said, oh, why don't you why don't you just play us some stuff? And, and I said, oh, no, 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 I won't do that. But anyway, what happened was, as I said previously, I had a son and I'd written a uh, an album for him when he was born called Merlin's Magical Music. And I'd... Um, I was looking for an illustrator because I'd written a, bo a book to go with it. And Cindy was talking one day about um, her husband, David Thornton, mm. who is an actor. But he at the time was doing illustrations. So I said, could you give him uh, this uh, cassette of Merlin's Magical Music, see if that might be something he might uh, be interested in? So anyway... We're in Japan in the hotel. There's no music. There's nothing to listen to at all. Nothing at all. So Sydney goes, oh, well, why don't we have a listen to uh, to Jan's uh, cassette? So she put on the wrong side because remember, back in those days, you you taped on both sides That's of right. the cassettes. You were you were very very um, frugal. A frugal, yeah. yeah, frugal about it all. And on the other side were some tracks that had been rejected by Atmosphere Music, who were a production library company that I'd done many albums for in the 80s. So these were rejects, right, on the other. <laughs> and she put the wrong side on. It wasn't Merlin's Magical Music. It was these, these rejects. And the first one was called Searching. And she just, she just stopped and just got obsessed with that song and of course that became searching on the sisters of avalon mm -hmm. album so by the time we'd finished the japanese tour we'd um finished writing searching absolutely gorgeous uh, yeah. melody and words that she put on top of this track absolutely gorgeous and we'd started some more stuff and uh, we went over to where was it? Um, Argentina. That's right. The next yeah, we were we were in Buenos Aires, and we started writing for the Sisters of Avalon album. There, uh, we were there for two weeks. So that was that. And then um, out of the collection of songs that we'd written, "Come on Home" was the one that she thought had the most commercial aspect, and she wanted to put it on the 12 deadly sins oh, yeah. as like a bridge from the greatest hits to the future and so that's that was how that was how that song got on there 
and uh, then we did the whole Sisters of Avalon album. Um, yes. So it's something, I tell you. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm just—it's for the sake of listeners. I'm going to ask you about keyboards a little bit in this era before we get on to the other great stuff. So mm-hmm. you, when you're obviously touring, what, what were you using at the time? You, you mentioned you'd fallen in love with synths and Cindy's um, stuff certainly has a, a range of, of sounds. So what, what was your go-to rig at that time? At the time, I was using a Fatar as my oh, MIDI yeah. controller. It was absolutely, absolutely fantastic. So... Uh, I'm gosh, I'm trying to remember. <laughs> I know I had I had quite a few keyboards up there, um, but I do know that I did use um, a uh, Yamaha. Uh, oh God, I should have looked all of no, this that's up. That's okay. I'm, so I'm just saying that that era would be. Oh, I'm trying to think. Would it be one yeah. of the SY series? I'm just trying to think. Uh, like, yeah, like... and and also we. We use Casio quite a lot, yeah, okay. especially especially to write on. And in fact, the Casio was one of my favourite uh, keyboards with the Thompson Twins. I can remember exactly what I used with the Thompson Twins. Uh, in, with the Thompson Twins, we had a Fairlight going wow. on, uh, which somebody, uh, Steve Dewey, had programmed. But I did use my Oberheim OBXA. Yeah. Definitely, I used that. I used a DX7 because we used to MIDI the Yamaha DX7 up up yeah. together. Um, and then there was a Yamaha Baby Grand as well. I remember having right. to run across uh, behind the stage to to get to the uh, the piano. But as far as Sydney goes, I I will have to look it up to remember. Oh, I know what it was. It was the Proteus. Of course, it was all oh, the rats. Yeah, emu I, and all that yes. stuff. Yeah, okay. Yes, because um, I used like the vintage keys and and Proteus, the XR. And, and so that's why the MIDI controller as well, yeah. That yes, yeah. that's what it was. It was, yes. And also I used the Roland 760 samplers. I had a couple of those. There you go. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, now it's all coming back. That's I'm right. just, just closed my eyes and seen the rack. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> that's great. And um, and so obviously that was a very successful collaboration. And then I'm assuming um, ongoing touring over the years. And I know Cindy tends to rotate band members fairly regularly. Anyway, it was I assume it was between motherhood and differing countries and that that um, you guys um, parted ways. Yeah, we we did um, after Sisters. We did a really lovely Christmas album. Oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah um, that was really great. Um, and then I think that the parting of the ways, like like you say, I mean, stars always do rotate mm. rotate their bands. And um, it was the Shine album that that was the last thing that we collaborated on. I did. I think I wrote about half the album with her and it was it was just one of those odd times because the record label she'd just left sony and Mm. and she signed to another record label and they went bust and it was it was a bad time it was a bad time and um the album shine i didn't quite understand the production of it 
Um, there were some really, really, really fantastic songs on it, but it only got released in Japan. Yes, that's and, right. Mm. Yeah, and so um, I, I don't know really. It was, you know, just. I mean, I, you know, I'm still in touch with yeah, Cindy yeah, every yeah. again. So I mean, it wasn't really, you know, any bad blood no, or no, any, no. anything no. like that. It's, it's just progress. You know, we all have have got to move on. We've all got to keep fresh. And she started working again with um, Bill Whitman, yes. who William Whitman, who had produced her very early hits, and so they got back on that uh, sort of um, pop kind of uh, road to. Uh, success again basically because remember sisters of avalon was was quite a uh, a departure i think for her yeah so uh, so yes yeah, so- and unless i'm getting my names wrong uh, bill whitman is um the bill that's played bass with her, essentially her whole career too yes. isn't it? yeah 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 yeah, yeah, he's he started. I think he was a guitar player actually, but he started playing bass um, around around that time because he co-wrote Shine as well. Yeah, he's right. the co-writer of Shine, which great I mean has song. become an anthem. Yeah. So yeah, so it's a you know a great partnership, and um, they're they're still doing it. That's right. So. Yeah, absolutely. And then, and then I do want to move on to one of the other exciting parts of. Um, your career, which was your involvement, like myself, in a, a bit of a, a virtual music uh, environment. So let's yeah. talk Rocket before Second Life. But th- so t- tell us a little bit about how you got involved in um, what was a very cutting edge technology at the time. Rocket, well, yeah. <laughs> yes, that was just amazing. Um, I'd got to know um, one of the tech support guys at Atari because I was a big Atari user and um, he could never understand why I wasn't on a Mac and I said well you know these these Ataris they've got you know they've got MIDI built in I'm very happy with uh, Creator Notator which I started using in 1990 because I'd been wow. waiting for this software and when Keyboard Magazine had this had this write-up I just went that's it that's what I've been waiting for so I so I went full steam ahead like I do with most things um, and uh, got on that. But because I, I knew uh, Bob Hunt from the Atari days, uh, the creator notator days, um, he persuaded me eventually to get onto the Mac. And uh, so I could become a beta tester for Rocket Network on the Mac. Mm. And I just loved it and it's so funny how how we all have such fond memories yes. of of it as well i've talked to roger harmer oh, yeah. and i'm i'm still working with chico freeman i just talked to chico this morning and i'll be talking to him later on this afternoon and we still talk about rocket network it was one of the most amazing things I've ever been involved with. And probably just yeah. worth a bit of a technical overview for our listeners that don't recall it. So Rocket Network at that stage when you were involved, Jam, was uh, essentially a, a product you bolted onto from memory, Cubase, Logic Audio, um, and I think digital, mm-hmm. digital Performer? I may have that one wrong. I don't know. I don't yeah. know about that. I, I mean, I did know about Logic and, and Steinberg, but, yeah. but of course I, I was a big Logic user and um so it was just it it was like magic to 
be in this virtual studio back in those days there was no video or anything we do it all on instant message yes. and we'd be talking to people on instant message and playing music and then and then it would come up on your screen what the other person had added to what you'd put That's up right. there it was it was astounding and it was so sad that avid bought the company yes. out and then the codex and one thing and another i don't know and, so uh, sad particularly in these challenging times um i know there's some products out there like jam kazam and a few others that are, are gaining some traction but yeah you look back and you go i wish this had continued and evolved because yes. i think it'd be a whole different ball game but yes yeah absolutely absolutely so yeah so that was very exciting because you know i met so many great people but of course the the uh, greatest person that I met out of it was Chico Freeman. So we worked so much over the years. We've done so much. So let's so talk much a writing. bit about Chico. Yeah, so, so just um, again, for those not in the know, tell us a little bit about Chico and his career and your involvement with him. Well, Chico is a vintage uh, jazz musician. He's a sax player. Mm. And, uh, and, you know, a very, very world-renowned sax player as well. Um, and I know it sounds like a, a strange combination, but um, I started writing lyrics to his music mostly. And uh, I really, really enjoyed that. And uh, we, we did a few albums with a couple of girl singers, nothing that was ever on a par with Cindy, of course, you know, but, uh, but it was nice. And, and, you know, we've just started working again now over the, over the lockdown period, we're going to be releasing a single fairly soon. And funnily enough, we've, we have actually been working uh, with Jam Kazam as well. Oh, there you go. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. Yeah. And so actually, I'd be interested in your thoughts, and I know some of our listeners, how, I know it, it's different to Rocket Network, but how effective are you finding it as a creative tool? I think that Jam Kazam has an amazing potential, mm. absolutely amazing. The latency, if you if you work at it, the latency is negligible, really. Right. Um, well, I say that because Chico is over in Switzerland. I'm in the UK, so of course you've got to think about the length between uh, between where you are. Yeah. But we, uh, my son is a drummer, and he's out there today playing with Chico. They're, they're um, trying out various latencies and everything. Excuse me. I think it's I think it's just like everything. If you've got a technical mind, you know, obviously as as we do, most electronic musicians are that way inclined. Well, then it makes it makes perfect sense. Um, it would be nice to have a plug and play model. Yeah. Um, I think uh, I think a lot of hobbyists are using it and finding it quite interesting as well. But like I say, you can you can really work on the latency and get that really low down. I mean, you you need to have a high speed internet yes. access, access, you know. Uh, but you can also do it with the video as well. You can you can um, uh, delay the video. And okay. things like that. So there are all these tricks to it. But I, I'm very impressed with Jam Kazam. I tried more or less everything else. And I think I think for collaborating, you know, we're, we're going to be doing a series of, hopefully going to be doing a series of concerts using right. it. 
Okay, mm. well, I'm looking forward to that. And that's yeah. that's a really interesting review, Jen, because I haven't used it myself. So, yeah, that's really good to know. Um, oh, so, yeah, if you want to try it, you know, yeah. just let me know. And it's obviously yeah. – um, so you, you've obviously been heavily involved in this virtual stuff and, and you took it a, a real step further uh, with Second Life, which, again <laughs> – it's by coincidence I got involved with around 2007. Yeah. You were probably involved slightly before that, I'm guessing. Um, I think I, I think it was 2005 yeah, when go. I first started. So, and and again, you you know you thought you were splitting the atom really because yes. we were doing online collaboration then. We were doing concerts. Uh, it was like this piggyback um, effect. I was talking to. Tony Gerber, when I was doing my lockdown uh, podcast the other day, and we were reminiscing about about those days. I mean, it's very different now. I, to be honest, I don't really go in there that much okay. anymore. It is. But, I mean, uh, it, it is interesting how it's evolved. And I mean, well, f- first again for our listeners, I mean, Second Life's been around circa two thousand and five. Uh, had a huge mm-hmm. boom in in about two thousand and seven to two thousand and eleven. Was, was enormous. Yeah. Huge focus on it. Was seen as the big bright future of of virtual worlds, or at least the building mm-hmm. block for that. Is still going. Still has a, a decent user base, but hasn't. Oh, this is probably unfair. Hasn't progressed that much. Right. Well, you see, that's exactly what Tony and I were saying. Um, and, and that's what I've said to people. And so it's always good when you hear it from somebody else that you're not alone. I just felt that they never really progressed enough. And Facebook came along. Yes. So why do people need to go in, you know, with their with their avatars and and uh, chat rooms and things when when you've got all this social media which obviously wasn't around no, at the that's time right. so i mean and and what was the uh, uh, you you had a particular personality that or uh, avatar that you're using in second life what was her name <laughs> that was jana kayo moon jana kayo moon yeah that's right that is yeah. true with with her pink hair and i always looked like a cartoon character because as i said if i wanted to be real that's you know, right. and, and and that's another thing that I found with Second Life is that, oh, I don't know, it just it just changed a bit. You know, they've got all these, they're all trying to look real. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> and, and the music scene, which was so fantastic. I don't know. It's it's definitely um, shrunk. So I, I do know people that still continue to perform successfully in Second Life, but I, I think even they'd agree it, it's shrunk on what it used to be. Yeah. 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 Um, and was there stuff yeah. about that, Jan, that that, that you learnt from or, or helped inform what you did next in your music? Like was the particular value you got out of that experience that you wouldn't have got elsewhere? Oh, Absolutely invaluable because my thought was if you can do it in virtual worlds you can do it anywhere so if you go in and you build a business model in a virtual world i mean how great is that and then you can transfer it you know into into the real world and as far as when i used to go in and play live and you know, gauging the audience reaction, uh, getting your getting your catalogue. Your, uh, you know, I, I I had about five albums out of of yeah. uh, music that I'd done in Second Life, uh, and I have to be honest, you used to get paid 
to play. Yes, and also I wanted to talk about that. So, and I, I, without going into dollar figures, you you obviously were able to get make a little bit of yeah. money. And for those that don't know Second Life, you you weren't what was called Linden dollars, which um, and Linden Labs ran an exchange where you could directly exchange those Linden uh, dollars for US dollars, so you could make real money out of a virtual world. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, people people actually booked you and paid. They don't anymore. No. You know, music has just become so devalued. Um, it's so hard, you know, for people to understand that it costs a lot of money to make music. Yes. <laughs> but, uh, you know? Uh, but on that, uh, that's probably a perfect segue to um, how, how not to make money in music in that you have now taken a huge step in recent years that you run your own um, mothership radio, <laughs> so ambient radio station, which I'm sure you're not making millions of dollars on. But let, let's talk a little bit about, about that. What, what led you to getting involved in, in that big enterprise? Well, well, again, I'd always, <laughs> even, even back in, where, where are we? 93, when the internet went into the public domain, you know, I just thought that was the best thing that had ever happened because all of a sudden you could you could have your music out there. I had my mm. own independent label. All kinds of things were, were available to you, including streaming your own music. Yeah. So even back then, I was still trying to get this get get this music stream going and tried so many things and of course you're at the mercy of the speed of the internet and and you know those old <laughs> modems that yes. were like 14.4 and stuff like that so you know you go through it all you go into second life and you discover oh hang on a moment i can stream music right so so you then get involved in streaming and you have your own stream and you learn all about that. And then when I, when I came back to the UK, which is about 10 years ago, the internet over here was just so horrendous. Yeah. I was lucky to get like two meg. And I'd say to people, is there something wrong with the internet? And they go, oh, it's it's fine for me. It works for me. I said, yeah, but you're you're only getting two yeah. meg, you know. And so I went through all of this, and so then I discovered about streaming from the cloud, and that just made so much perfect sense. So I was streaming uh, my uh, Second Life stream, you know. I I, I always attached. Uh, a domain to it, so it was like Radio Jaina to go with the Jaina Kaiman, so that people could listen to my music on Radio Jaina, and uh, went through all this, you know, kerfuffle. Um, a couple of years ago, I was doing uh, a festival here. I was producing a festival, absolutely wonderful festival called uh, the Beowulf Festival, oh, yeah. and I was. Uh, uh, projecting and playing music, you know, it was really great. But the sound people were just so fantastic. And they were just moving up to Suffolk and they were taking a building out on the old Bentwaters base, which is an old, uh, the Americans were there, USAF, you know, in the Cold War and everything. So it's got a real history. And also it's got a history of UFOs, believe it or okay. not. There's a big, the Rendlesham 
thing after Roswell. I think it's one of the most famous uh, UFO sightings. Uh, so they offered me uh, um, half of the building or a third of the building that they were they were getting out there. And so that was just perfect because, like I said, had the studio out in the States, came over here, tried to do everything at home, as you do. You mm. think, oh, yeah, I do it all on computers and blah 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 well then my son came over from america and he's um he's a drummer and he also runs open mics and so as there were pas and drums and all <laughs> kinds of things all over the flat and i just kept saying god almighty if, if only we had another room or another couple of rooms and lo and behold it happened so we moved moved out there and uh, we called it Mothership Studios for a number of reasons, as you can imagine, yeah. with the UFOs and the fact that I am the mother. And, <laughs> and so we share, share this place. And uh, I discovered a really great um, uh, cloud streaming thing called Airtime Pro. Oh, yeah. And so I set up Radio Mothership. And it's just, it's just expanded beyond belief, really. It's because I'm, I think it's like a little niche thing. You're right. I'm not, I'm not making, not making out of it. But um, I am in in other ways because it's it, we have we have this ambient music world every day, which I think is really important. It's like, you know, this is the gift of music to people who want to relax a little bit. And I know you do ambient music mm. as well. It's it's therapy. It's fantastic to get involved. And also, coincidentally, the father of ambient music, Brian Eno, yeah. is from Woodbridge, which is where oh, we live. You see, so, so you have you have you been tempted to stalk up. him, Jan? Like, because I'm sure he gets stalked all the time. <laughs> yeah. So, so yes, and there's this beautiful river here, so it's very easy to be inspired. So we have the ambient um, music world going, but we also do a lot of electronic music, mm. and we've become part of electronic uh, music open mics. And we're now doing live shows on Twitch on the first Sunday of every month. Um, and, and you know, anybody can send music for that. And, yeah. uh, we, and we do uh, visualizers out at the mothership. We've got a visualizer that we can, we can broadcast as well. So, yes, it's, uh, you know, you have to realize that Merlin... Merlin was brought up with a mother who was running her stream from an old G4 Mac computer <laughs> und underneath the kitchen sink and thought that all mothers did That's that. That's right. <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> no, I love it. And, I mean, you obviously create your own um, ambient stuff too, don't you, Jen? So, I mean, what do you what 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 do you use to do that? Or, I mean, do you, you just the work, the sky's the limit? You use whatever you have at hand? Are you a big soft synth fan or? Um, well, m mostly over the last couple of years, obviously, 
running all of this takes a tremendous yeah. amount of time because you see the artwork that I do every day and blah, mm. blah, blah. So I'm, I'm very creative every day. The music has almost taken a back seat, but not quite. So what I what I tend to do is a lot of ambient piano. Oh, yeah. And I treat that with, I love alchemy, for example, yeah. on the on. Uh, logic is just great uh recently i've i've delved into spitfire and um, yeah they're just fantastic i was using east west for a while that was that was really good um i like to make a lot of my own sounds um but there's so much stuff out there to choose from these days but I do always tweak everything to so that it so that it is it is my own um and um yes i'm really looking forward to um to getting back to creating a bit more yeah. uh, music because years ago i used to go for a walk down the river and come back when i was doing my live shows on second life and i would just play as soon as i'd come from the river and play directly into logic because i always think yeah. the first thing you do you have to capture it that is the one great thing about logic is the capture button which they've they hide a bit you've got to go in and and um uh get your your little control thing and make sure that you have the capture button there and then you can play anything capture it and there you go that's it that's the basis of what you can work from and you can especially especially with piano you can really add so much stuff to it and effects and things like that and logic is just just great you know so i don't work in ableton or anything i've thought about it i thought you know what i've spent my whole life working in logic do i really want to move on to another platform yeah another logic fan here for sure um and and so last two questions and number one it sounds like you've got well and truly enough to keep you occupied but what's coming up for you in the next 12 months as far as you can predict anything in the current world well i'd like to i'd like to do some more music i'm hoping that i can uh release another piano album i try i try and put out something every year so i'm hoping to release the other album working with chico again is just fantastic Mm. where um We've just done uh, a, a cover of a Bill Withers tune, oh, yep. and uh, that's going to be released soon. We did, uh, Chico did a video uh, all about the COVID nineteen and and the Black Lives Matter. Uh, okay. it's, it's really you know quite quite a nice uh, video. So we're going to be releasing that very soon. Um, Merlin's working on his own album. I'm hoping to put the studio on a subscription basis probably on patreon and also make it virtually accessible uh so that more and more people can work hopefully in something like like jam kazam would be great Mm -hmm. um and so that we can continue working remotely um and um producing and you know just just yeah Anything and everything. <laughs> I was going to say, I can't imagine you're going to be putting your feet up anytime soon. Um, <laughs> I don't think so. No. 
And then the very last question we ask every guest, Jan, and I don't think I gave you a heads up on this one, is the old Desert oh. Island Discs question. So five albums you couldn't live without. Oh, gosh. Oh, dear. Well, oh, it's a bit like those Facebook when they uh, yes. send you. Yeah. And it's so, it's so difficult for me to, to choose. Um, I would say... Anything by Massive Attack, yep. I'd just Massive Attack. Uh, probably, let's see, uh, Vaughan Williams, oh, maybe. Simon yeah. uh, Thomas Tallis, that's that's lovely. I mean, those strings are just gorgeous. A uh, bit of jazz, I don't know, something by uh, Miles Davis or Chet oh, yes. uh, Baker or something like that. Uh, that's three, isn't it? Yep. Uh, oh, maybe John Martin. He's a great songwriter. Okay. God rest his soul. Love him. Um, and uh, let's see. Uh, fifth one. Oh, I don't know. I don't know. What would I do? Oh, gosh. Uh, oh, you should have asked me before. Yeah, I, I should have I, given I you the heads up. I feel bad. Written out somewhere. Uh, fifth album. Let's see. Um Oh, I don't know. Just, just off the top of my the buggles, head. The age oh. of plastic. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> no, no, sorry yeah. to say yours. That was a joke. But... Uh, uh, no, well, ju- just because uh, I love um, space and everything, the host of the planets. Oh, yes. You know, when the, when the space station goes out, goes over, I always run outside yeah, and have a look at it. Yeah, and, of course, there's the comet Neowise, which I'm really looking forward to seeing soon. So, yeah, so I would say the planets. That's really good. Oh, yeah. Jan, I can't thank you enough for joining us. I, I know, as I said, we're in, we've sort of worked in parallel with each other for a lot of years, obviously me at a, yeah. a very lower level, but it's been yeah great knowing you over this time. And um, here's to a, an ongoing amazing career. And, um, yeah, keep up doing well, what you're thank doing. You. Thank you so much. It's really been great to talk to you. And there we have it. A huge thanks to Jan for taking the time. It was wonderful to speak to her after all these years. And um, Jan certainly had one interesting career and I think has many more years of such interest to come. So, we'll, as always, we'll be back again in a fortnight or so. But just a reminder that you can keep in touch via a few means and we do love to hear from you. Our website is www.keyboardchronicles.com. Um, I've mentioned a couple of times the website has had a bit of a facelift and we do have a weekly newsletter that you might be interested in um, if you're interested in sort of latest keyboard news and uh, news and views about people that are playing them. Uh, It's free and you do get a curated email of information for that free price. Uh, We're on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash keyboard chronicles, Twitter at the keyboard chr1, if you'd like good old-fashioned email, then please do drop us a line at editor at keyboardchronicles.com. Uh, if you'd like to become an official supporter, we do have a Patreon account where for the price of a coffee a month, you can help us go from strength to strength and even hopefully increase the frequency of our interviews. A huge thank you again to you for listening and I hope to see you back here next episode. <laughs>